I'm Harmony Williams, and this is Life Changing Trips. Sometimes it's hard to see the freedom and the beauty that lives behind the weight of everything we carry. But I believe that life is so amazing, and I can't waste another moment. I'm so excited to be here with you for another transformational conversation about experiences and the latest research on plant medicine, meditation, breath work, and other unconventional modalities, and how they are being used for mental health and expansion. I hope by listening that you will find ways to integrate your peak experiences and epiphanies to open up new levels of possibilities, ingenuity, and fulfillment in business, and deeper, authentic connection and passion in your relationships, and a feeling of purpose, of living fully alive. Okay, guys, this week we have Tina Cat Courtney, and she is a plant medicine pioneer with two decades of professional psychedelic experience. She has so much knowledge that you can glean from her just in this episode and also her books. She starts as a young teenager with an eating disorder, anxiety, bipolar diagnosis, misusing alcohol and experimenting with LSD and MDMA. And now she has over 20 years of experience, formal training in the jungle to become an ayahuascara. She's the real deal, you guys. Seriously, we talk about on this episode all kinds of different medicines, ayahuasca, peyote, huachuma, San Pedro, combo, bufo, vilca, It's the plant version of 5-MeO-DMT, all kinds of fun stuff. She is the author of Plant Medicine Mystery School, Volume 1, The Superhero Healing Powers of Psychotropic Plants. It is so fun, I can't put it down. Seriously, I've loved it. It talks about and just celebrates the personalities of entheogens. And she has also been working as a psychedelic integration coach for 15 years, and she's the CEO and co-founder of Plant Medicine People. Her entire life is devoted to helping humans discover the power of being in a relationship with these plants. And she'll tell us in the end, I've got it in the notes where you can find her. And she does retreats and integration. She has courses. Um, group master plant diets, a lot of resources for you here. And one of the crazy things we alluded to here in the title is that she was actually arrested for carrying ayahuasca. And so that's a really interesting story. And she'll tell us all about that and how it ended up. And it just it just breaks my heart that someone that is doing so much good, really helping to heal people help people get out of anxiety and depression and all types of different things, has to fear going to jail. I'm not saying that I believe that no one's ever going to get hurt or harmed or it's a good experience for everyone. I actually really had to work through that process that the other day some things come up came up with fears around this podcast and what if somebody misuses or gets hurt or doesn't have the support they need and is left hanging or all kinds of different reasons why not normally physically but mentally more someone could get hurt what if that's they were introduced from the podcast and I really looked into that and felt that how that would hurt me 
if that happens and as this grows and it spreads, there are going to be people that aren't safe. And in my heart, as I meditated on that and really checked in with me and my spirit, my source, I felt like this, it, it was still worth it. There was so many lives that can be helped and changed and I can continue to put out the cautions. A lot of our episodes, you go back and you listen to some of the most experienced facilitators and they are the shaman and the shrink or the condor coach with Cole Witty. Most of the episode is about cautions and how to be safe and how to set your intentions and all of those things, how to choose a, a facilitator that will keep you safe. So I really feel like that the amount of good that can be had as we share this message is worth it. So I want to encourage you to share this with somebody and maybe pick one of the episodes that, that feels easiest for you to share with. I think Phyllis at the first, this beautiful 60-year-old woman who was struggling with divorce and was approved for a one of the studies and the lessons that she learned, I think it's a really gentle, lovely one to just introduce someone to the possibilities. Maybe you have a loved one who's struggling with depression or anxiety or is feeling stuck and this could be an answer for them. I'm obviously not saying it's the answer for everyone and listen to the disclosure at the end, not a therapist or a mental health practitioner or a doctor. So of course, everyone needs to do their own research but share the podcast and let people know about the studies that they're doing and the possibilities that are out there with this work. I appreciate you listening and I really do in my heart feel like this is something that I'm supposed to be spreading and I know that people have come back to me and said, you've changed my life. You saved my life. I was suicidal. I had no other hope and it's changed my life. So I appreciate you guys helping to spread the message, listening, rate, review, all of those things. Something I love to do, but it does take time and energy. I'm excited to do that and I hope it's helping. So the more you can spread this, the more it helps. So here we go. This is Kat Courtney. Yay. Today we have Tina Cat Courtney. She's a plant medicine pioneer with two decades of professional psychedelic experience. Welcome, Cat. Thank you for having me, Harmony. Oh, thanks so much for coming. This is just, I'm so excited. I've been reading your book. It's so beautiful. So much wisdom that you share with us from the plants and your experiences. So I'm so glad we made it. Thank you so much. It's super kind. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Well, do you want to start us off by giving us your background, kind of where you came from and how you got here? Ah, oh, well, it's a long That's, story. I'll give you yeah, a like real short hours. version. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I came from a very common place, just being, first of all, I grew up in Montana, kind of a small town girl, but I was living in LA, living kind of the dream life, working for Disney and you know, like big city sort of energy. I was, um, at the time I found the medicine, I was bulimic, uh, kind of a functional alcoholic. Uh, just really, I had attempted suicide, diagnosed bipolar in my early 20s, just really kind of lost like many of us are in this crazy world. And I was dating a guy who said, hey, you want to go to the jungle and drink ayahuasca? And I had no idea what that was, but it sounded cool. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Uh, and I had no idea what I was getting into 20 years ago everybody and their grandma wasn't drinking 
you know, they're working with psychedelics. So I, I had no clue. Um, but in addition to finding something, the moment that I sat in that ceremony in the, in the jungle, I felt this hope that I could heal, which the Western world had told me I couldn't, that I was always going to be mentally ill. And, and the medicine right away kind of gave me this feeling of, no, that's not true. And then, you know, I also basically found what I felt, know now was my calling. Uh, I didn't know then that a white girl from Montana could work with ayahuasca, but I certainly hoped that would be the case because I fell in love with this process. And uh, so, you know, basically long, long journey of my own healing, which I'm certainly still on, but so much better than 20 years ago, and eventually found a teacher in one of the lineages for ayahuasca that I trained with for almost a decade, learned how to sit behind the altar and work with this incredible medicine. Um, and somewhere along the way, about 15 years ago too, I started doing um, integration for psychedelic journeys. Nobody thought it was a career. Everybody laughed at me of like, yeah, right. That's going to be something you can make money at. And now it's kind of a, a very viable career. I teach others to do the same. So I have had a wild 20 years. In many ways, I'm just getting started. But thanks to these medicines, I feel like I'm alive, I'm thriving, I have a calling and life is good. So my whole life was pretty much dedicated to the sacred plants because they gave me this incredible life. So that's it in a nutshell. Oh, man, so <laughs> fascinating. So can you tell us a little about what it was like having bipolar. Um, we could touch on the eating disorder. I'm specifically interested in that one. Cause that's kind of one that comes up. Like I've heard of people who have had, and this was with psilocybin, but, um, that are bipolar that have had a great experience and it really helped them. And then another bipolar person also that it like seemed to put them into an episode. And I'm not really even sure what all of that means, but, um, Maybe you can touch on that and the your experience with others and yourself. Um, yeah, how ayahuasca works with bipolar people. I would love to because it's you know it's a bit of a controversial topic because a lot of retreat centers that work with ayahuasca won't take anybody who's had a diagnosis of bipolar, borderline, things like that. And yet, psychedelics are often the tools, the the portals that can help us heal. There's a very important piece of the puzzle though. Uh, being diagnosed bipolar to me is not in any way uh, a, uh, a cancellation of the opportunity to work with psychedelics. I'd be a hypocrite, right? But what somebody who has just, let's just say a past history of mental injury, I don't call it illness. It's an injury. Nobody's born bipolar. We become that because life is crazy. It's trauma. So people with that kind of history, what I want to first give them before I give them plant medicine is a foundation of tools to work with the intensity. Because to me, that's what bipolar means is sensitive, you know, experiencing strong intensities in the whole spectrum of duality, which I still do, by the way, I just have tools to work with it now, right? Nobody yes. taught me that. Wouldn't it be amazing if in school we taught our kids how to work with their emotions? Right. Whether you're bipolar or not, or how, yeah, like, right. Yeah. Because we all deal with the uh, sacred rage and heartbreak and all of this. It's just, I didn't have tools to deal with it. So before I give somebody plant medicine, if they have a history of this, we first have some tools 
of working with the intensity because that's the thing that you were naming is is plant medicines and psychedelics can make the intensity more intense so if we don't know how to deal with that and then we take ayahuasca and now it's more intense it's going to appear as if we are worse off whereas yeah. the medicines are just bringing things to the surface out of integrity of like here work with this but the way we label it is, well, I wanted to get better and now I'm worse. It's like, well, is it the plant's fault or do we not have tools? Yeah. So that's kind of my sort of perspective on it is, is sometimes we need to learn some things before we jump into the portal of, of a psychedelic. Yeah. So what are some of those things that you work with people on in preparation? There's a whole spectrum, but I would say the core of it is a relationship somatically with our bodies. See, one of the things about being bipolar, uh, and I think a lot of us that go through mental injuries is we become really mental, very dissociated, detached from the body. And because of that, there isn't a sense of safety. This is one of the first things ayahuasca showed me is because I was so up in the, you know, the sky eating space dust with my consciousness, um, I didn't feel safe because safety equals being embodied. So a lot of different somatic tools. In fact, I love working with somatic therapists with people who have been through these sorts of things, because the more we can come back and have a conscious connection with our body, the more we can handle intensity. The parallel in nature that I make to that is like, we want to become like a tree. Trees are deeply rooted. So when the storms come, they move, but they aren't toppled because they're deeply grounded. So with each individual, I'll find where they aren't grounded in their lives, where intensity treats them like a piece of popcorn instead of a deeply rooted tree. So that's the metaphor that seems to resonate with people. It's like, and there's lots of ways to get to that, but it's always somatic. It's always about working with the body. Yeah. So um, I heard a gal I went to at, at Yen on Fire, a somatic dance, breath work, something, but I've heard them say it's like, we hold these things and I'm not sure if this is what you're talking about with somatic, but we hold these things in our body. And I, I can feel it sometimes. Like you just have this tenseness or anxiety or something, but they were saying with like an animal, they go through this really intense situation and then they'll kind of just like shake it off and like go through this almost like seizure looking, you know, thing where they shake it off and get that out of their body. Is that kind of what you're talking about with somatics? Absolutely. It's a connection to the body so that we actually know where this kind of trauma and energy is stored because we don't do what nature does, which is have that seizure, shake it off. And so it's weird, right? We don't want to look weird. And well, even in, that's funny that I still don't do it. Like even in my bedroom alone or some of those things, like yep. I, on a one journey, I was like toning and singing these really loud sounds that were like reverberating my head and it felt healing and it felt, but yet I felt weird the next day, even just doing that in my bathroom alone. I'm like, why have I never done this? This is incredible. Or even just like, yeah, dancing weirdly alone. Like it's, it's strange that because I don't dare do it in front of people that I also, now I do. I mean, now I will do it alone and sometimes even in front of people, but um, sorry, side note there. No, completely <laughs> relevant because we don't give ourselves permission. That's what you're saying. And these kinds of things are the things that move energy, toning, making noise, breath work, ecstatic dance. Like, because if we don't, if we stay constricted, everything not only gets trapped, it starts to grow and multiply, which is why we get physically sick. And all of these things happen. So the plants are going to come in and say, laugh, 
move, make noise, you know, do all these things. In fact, one of my favorite purges with ayahuasca is shaking, shaking and shake because it's trauma coming out, but we have to give ourselves permission. So having those sorts of tools and awarenesses before you go in to work with psychedelics is so beneficial because if somebody gets an opportunity to purge out their trauma, to cry, to shake, whatever, they might be more inclined to allow it because that self-consciousness kind of falls away when you realize that's what healing looks like. No, it's moving the energy. So all of that is relevant. In my experience, when I've tried to hold that in on a journey, when I'm like, oh, you're trying to like keep it all together, right? You're on that cusp and you're like, nope, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to surrender. I'm just going to hold like it. It Once you, once you decide you're just going to release and surrender and like whatever it is, then it suddenly moves you through to this different, more glorious space. Usually yeah, you have a breakthrough, breakthrough that way. Like it's the suffering that's caused by resisting the movement of the energy that really hurts. It really hurts. And we're in control of that. We just, you know, realize that allowing the process to happen is where the breakthrough comes, not fighting it. But by the way, I still have to learn that lesson. I still fight sometimes because it's primal in us. But to be graceful and loving to that part too, it's just like, okay, let it go, honey, let it go. Because that's where the healing happens. Love it. There's a tribe. I don't remember the name. You said it a couple of times, but a tribe that you worked with and kind of what you're trained in. I am trained in a specific lineage of working with ayahuasca. It's the Shipipo Kanibo tribe. Okay. And they are old school godfathers and godmothers of ayahuasca shamanism. And they are known as the super hardcore, intense, really sort of all in uh, lineage. So I didn't know that when I found my way to them and trained with them. But uh, it was not the easy path of learning to work with Aya. But they're incredible. So much wisdom and strength in that tribe. Love it. And then you also found the different things here. I, and in your book, you were saying that too, like we just have, there's a, a, it's a lot different than over in the jungle. Yeah. I would say the core thing that's different is they don't ever disconnect from nature. And we do, we live in such a state of separateness and it causes so much pain, this disconnection from nature. So like the first shaman that I worked with in the jungle, he would just pat my head and say, it's okay, kitty cat. And like, it is not okay up there. It is not okay. But he couldn't relate to the the psychosis really that the Western world goes through because their whole lives revolve around the relationship to nature and they're happier for it and healthier. Yeah, definitely one thing I've found in my limited experience that it just draws me to nature. I want to be in nature more. I can feel that difference when I'm inside all day working on the computer and wanting to just be outside, even just on just a tiny, tiny microdose. And all of a sudden I'm like, I need to be outside in that tree, looking at the clouds, touching the grass. It's just so just so connecting and loving and letting the mother Gaia hold us and heal us. It's incredible. I love that about it. What, what am I doing all this life for? We were, I went on a walk with my six-year-old and my 10-year-old the other day, and we're staring up at the stars. And my 10-year-old is like, what's the meaning of life? Right. And we're just talking and it, and then as we're walking home, he's like, why do we do all this? Like, 
we don't have to go to work so that we could buy a house and so that we can, you know, have food. There's like other ways. And I'm like, you're right. You're onto something there. Like, this is what our culture has taught us. We have to do, but why are we doing it? And what are we doing it for? And so just more and more, I've tried to, uh, my life, I have this entrepreneurial spirit. So I'm always like, okay, let's do this. And I have these great ideas and I get really excited. And my ADHD-ness kind of like, I go down these rabbit holes and luckily I got the podcast because of a ADHD rabbit hole, but, and working for something in the future. And for that whole year after my first journey, it was like, there was, there was nothing in the future and things were coming to me incredibly enough and opportunities and people were coming to me, but I just followed my heart. I spent so much time meditating and breath work and out in nature and any chance I got to do a drum drum circle with someone or dance or whatever that was just living and experiencing. And instead of um, wishing my kids were older so I could go do something, I just, let's go to the river. Let's go on a hike. I just experienced life with my children and it's so beautiful. Like that's what we're doing it all for is so I could go on this fancy vacation to Hawaii with the kids when I could just go to the river and put my feet in the sand and have that same exact experience for free with my children without having to pack up any bags and go through the airport and earn the money to get there. It's just like this beautiful lesson that it brings us back to that root. It like shows us that the joy we are seeking is right in front of us. It is not conditional on money in the bank or a car in the garage or whatnot. It, our birthright of being connected to nature, to everything is waiting for us all the time, like right there, like hidden in plain sight. And, you know, that future focused mentality means that something in the future will make us happy, which typically means we're never happy, just mm -hmm. chasing things. And the plants bring us back to the reality that it's happening right now. If we lean into it, put our feet in the sand and go to the river with our kids. And like, there it is. There's the joy. So simple. And yet, so complex to our minds sometimes to get there. Right. So much. Okay. So that reminded me of being happy right here in this moment. Would you, would you want to tell us about your, your legal journey? And if you were able to remain happy throughout that, like, honestly, like that probably caused some anxiety and I I'm sure you have tools that can help bring you back. So I'd love to hear how that that flow went. Yeah. So what happened to me last year is a single package of ayahuasca was intercepted uh, by the feds who never prosecute with ayahuasca, but they sent it to the state of Colorado where I lived at the time. And they decided to come after me and they came after me hard. They arrived at my doorstep with a warrant of charged me with uh, attempt to possess conspiracy, all of these things, a maximum of 40 years in jail if I was convicted and they threw me in jail. And when I was getting cuffed and put in the car, all of the tools came in. It's like I could feel the plants going, you worked for this very moment to not let it take you down. And I remember just putting a smile on my face of like, okay, I'll never have this experience again. Might as well be present for it. You know, and I was putting wow. in the pop car, just looking out like, whoa, this is happening. You know, and, and it was a roller coaster. I went down sometimes in rage, mainly rage of like the system and the way we treat people. But um, I did. I was able to stay pretty darn present. And I could tell you so many magical stories of like cosmic winks all throughout the journey of being thrown in jail and like the universe and the plants basically saying, 
everything's okay, kiddo. Don't fall for the gloom and doom, you know? Um, and I did, there was two times in the four month legal battle that I went down into depression, anger, but they were brief. And I popped back out using all of my tools of like, I got this. And uh, long story short, so four months into it, I accepted a plea. I did one year probation. Uh, that's over now. It was really actually quite graceful, but it still breaks my heart that we're putting people in jail for plants. Yeah. That's, you know, still our reality, even though there's a lot more decriminalization and legalization happening for people like myself who are shamanic beings that aren't a part of the system. I'm never going to go get certified, you know, and get a gold star from the system. Uh, the danger is increasing because it's like being a doctor without a license. Those, yeah. Even you know, if they do legalize it. It's yeah, not going to help you and your 20 years of experience with the shaman and whatever. They don't give a shit about that. They want the professional degree who has now just gone and taken a six week online certification or whatever. I don't know. I'm making that up, but well, yeah, but so you're right. You're spot on. <laughs> they have their professional therapist degree or whatever. And then now they're going to be able to facilitate medicine. And then the, the real shaman are just worried about being arrested, worried, fearing their safety because they're out there trying to help people who really need help. Yeah. And those arrests, by the way, are skyrocketing. In the last few years, people like myself, Jose Campos was put in jail for over a year in Mexico. It's like the, the arrests of the shamanic beings are going higher and higher and higher, not the opposite, because the system is now wanting to profit off of these medicines and you have to follow their protocol, you know, get pay $10,000 for the certification, pay for the malpractice insurance and liability, all of that. And it's not about the relationships with the plants. It's about your relationship with the system. That's what gets you legal status. And so, you know, it's just kind of an unfortunate reality of what's happening in, in the US, especially is it's not shamanic, it's clinical, which there's a space for clinical. I'm not upset about that. I'm upset that there's only a legal space for clinical uh, work with the plants and that the shamanic perspectives aren't currently welcomed or valid or protected. Yeah, yeah, I see that uh, skyrocketing pricing too for people like if you have to have ten thousand dollars worth of this insurance and you have to do all of these things and um yeah that could make it inaccessible to some people who need it i was just talking with a beautiful gal who was like i would love to have a nonprofit that would get these medicines for free to people who need it people who are desperate for it yeah and i'm like oh wouldn't that be beautiful i'm on board with that so what would you say uh, to other people to stay safe. And yeah, yeah. well, right now in the legal landscape, the places that lack safety are the mail. Don't mm -hmm. have, especially internationally, don't order any um, brews of medicines. And then there are multiple plants that are illegal, you know, to even in their raw form. So uh, don't be so foolish as to think a single package can't get you in trouble. I know somebody who is facing 40 years in prison in California right now because of a single package of coca leaves, coca leaves, but they're charging him with conspiracy to sell cocaine. Uh, so yeah, it's getting really dicey. So don't put things through the mail. As participants of ceremonies, it's pretty safe. I'm not hearing of anybody arrested because they're sitting in the underground, but of course, people like myself that are medicine carriers, 
it's it's getting harder and harder to do so safely in the U.S. Don't advertise on social media, for the love of God. <laughs> it's basically like a big neon sign that says, come here. Uh, and be really wary of the churches, too. So the psychedelic plant medicine churches, they're not legal. There's a really kind of a false sense of security around them. They should be legal under the Religious Protection Act, but they're not. The DEA gave itself uh, its status to veto and to arrest or to raid these churches, and they do so all the time. So people that think that those are safe in the states, they're not right now. We're fighting for that legal right, but we're not there yet. So just being smart about carrying the medicines. Uh, you can always go to Peru, Costa Rica, where I work now, where those things are much more protected and accepted, but uh, it's it's just complicated. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's that's great advice. I like that. I'm, yeah, hoping we'll find more and more case study and case law and getting that out there for the churches and for people that are sincere religious practice practitioners even and in a sincere religious practice of their own but um yeah something that we still need to be careful of and you you touch on that in your book just beautifully um about let me see if i i was taking notes uh then i can go back and look oh just the reverence the intelligence the safety the love when you're practicing, even, even legally, right. Just being prepared. And maybe that leads me to the next thing. What, what would you, how would you describe integration? I've had people like, but what, what is integration? I hear this word integration all the time, but what do I, what do I need to be doing? They want to check box, right? Of course, but obviously I know that's not the answer. What do I need to be doing for integration? Integration to me can also be used interchangeably with the word embodiment. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's when we take an experience with the plants and we feel some sense of closure, like it's impacted us in our daily lives. Not that it's a memory of, oh, that one time on mushrooms, I saw God and, you know, danced with the universe. It's like, how can I incorporate that into my daily experience? Which is why it's not a checkbox. Like you're saying, it's not a list of do these things and you will be embodied. It's very personal to the individual and, of course, the experience they're integrating. But integration by its very nature honors the aftermath to me as being more important than the ceremony itself because it's what we do with it that matters. And it's always going to involve being with the emotions and the insights that came to the surface. Um, I love journaling and just chronicling the things that come in. And most important, the embodiment of it is like allowing the body to resonate with the wisdom. We're so sort of keen on staying in our minds of like, everything is one. Well, if your body and every cell of your body doesn't resonate with that principle, a lot of good it does to know that, right? It just stays in the headspace and that isn't integration. So integration is a complex idea, but it really brings some completion to the experience that we had. For some people, an integration for a ceremony is a day or two depending on the ceremony. I've had ceremonies. There's one eight years ago. I'm still integrating. I'm like, what was that? It was so big. No, so there's no formula, but it's just this uh, reverence attention to the aftermath. And if it still feels confusing or not embodied, then you're still integrating and that's okay. I love it. Yes. Thank you. So, some of the things, I feel like some of the things we talked about earlier 
are part of my integration, just like letting myself experience movement and dance and like embodying that nature, the sitting with nature and sounding, using my voice, all of those things are part of that integration. And I've had, I've had uh, journeys of course, but also even just non-plant medicine retreats that I've gone to. There's no medicine there. It's just, we're opening up. We're connecting as people. We're connecting with nature. We're doing some different practices. And then you feel this open and expansiveness and like, oh, I'm starting to feel like this is actually me, you know, my wholeness. And, and then you go back into work and life and spouse and in kids, you know, whatever. And it's like, oh, how do I do these two separate worlds? Like, how do I integrate them? Right. How do I combine? So even, and we're doing it every day with any little experience we have integrating, but sometimes I need, I, I always, I love having a coach or a therapist. My life coaches and integration coaches have been so transformational for me when I get stuck. There's sometimes just things we can't see in our own life, in our own brain that someone with some experience and love could can help us through. So it's a huge one for me, that integration. And I'm glad you're out there doing this for people. And I love that part of this job too, like getting to share amazing people that can help people I love too. You know, whenever I'm just one of those people, whenever I feel someone hurting or they're depressed or they have this, even a physical issue, I'm just like, I want to fix this. I want to help them. I want to, how do I, you know, give them the tools, but I know it's their own journey and I, <laughs> I'm not here to solve it for everyone, but, but we can point them towards emergency yeah. exits, right yeah. here. I know there's, you know, this person or this medicine and, and support each other in that. Yeah. I'm the same way. It's like, I don't want anybody to feel like the suffering they're going through is hopeless ever. There's mm. always a way through always. Mm. Yes. I love that. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about some of the medicines you work with and like what they are and what they do and why they're so incredible? As much what, as I can give language. Yeah. <laughs> maybe even some of the hard parts about them too, or the, ah. the things to be careful of or what not to do if you are on SSRIs or if you're, you know, those type of things. I, and I'll start off with that since I brought it up in my rambling, um, with ayahuasca, does that, is that work on those same receptors as SSRIs? I know psilocybin doesn't really work if you're on, um, that what I'm talking about, if people don't know is antidepressants or SSRIs. Yeah. And MAOIs in particular mm -hmm. is important with ayahuasca because she is an MAOI. If she was classified as a pharmaceutical, she has those traits, which is why working with SSRIs and MAOIs in conjunction with ayahuasca is actually really dangerous because it can flood the system with too much serotonin. With psilocybin, it's not as dangerous. It's just not advantageous because it blocks the medicine from opening up, right? With ayahuasca, it can cause serotonin, serotonin syndrome, which is really tricky because serotonin syndrome looks just like a really strong trip purging and sweating and dizziness. And so as practitioners, we can't tell the difference by sight between someone having serotonin syndrome and someone in a deep portal of healing. So we, that's a, that's one of the biggest, you know, like uh, prerequisites is you can't be on those drugs 
if you're going to take ayahuasca, it's not safe. Um, with I eyes yeah. real fast, will you, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Will you, um, tell us like what an example of those are? Well, it's the whole spectrum of antidepressants. So, uh, you know, Prozac and, uh, and Wellbutrin and antipsychotic drugs and all of those, anything basically that changes uh, the levels of neurotransmitters, um, specifically serotonin, but even those that work with dopamine uh, and anything that's messing with the circuitry of the brain. It can be dangerous with Aya because she's going to go in and try to help balance those things too. So they just don't work together. Um, benzodiazepines like clonopin and th those aren't as dangerous, but they will inhibit the medicine from working, you know, because they're, uh, they're blocks essentially from, from doing what she needs to do. Um, and then physically speaking with ayahuasca in particular, seizures, a history of seizures and a history of heart issues. Because the, the easiest way to sort of determine if you think you're a candidate for ayahuasca is would you get on the biggest, scariest roller coaster? No, if it's a no, because your body can't handle it, Aya feels the same, even though you're just going to sit in the same space all night, it's a, it's a roller coaster, right? So that's usually what I, I work with, with people who are like, I don't know if I can handle it. I'm like, can you handle a roller coaster? Because that's the, it's, it's a fair comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the, what is an ayahuasca journey like? Oh God. Like, general question, but why would someone seek this out and what do they experience? Well, the reason why I think we seek it out is not for the experience itself necessarily, although it can be beautiful. It's for the aftermath. It's for the opportunity for, I mean, a limitless amount of healing and expansion and insight. As I mentioned, I'm alive because of her. It hasn't been easy working with her. And I still am scared of her. To me, ayahuasca is like the girl at the party that's super cool. And you see her off in the distance and you're like, wow. But when she starts coming towards you, you start to freak out. Of like, oh God, she's coming. <laughs> I have a, definitely a healthy fear of all plant medicines. This is not something, even microdosing. It's like this tiny, tiny. And I do like a half of what the recommended microdose would be. And I'm still like, oh, I should do this. This would help me. I should do this once a week or something. And I'm like, once a month, like, um, am I ready for this today? It could bring up some stuff. <laughs> it sure can. And so in a micro or a macro about all plant medicine is this way, but I think ayahuasca is like the mother of all medicines. She's so strong and powerful, which is why, you know, I've sat with her thousands of times. I'm still in a healthy way, afraid of her because I still have edges and I still have a shadow and she can just find that in an instant. Um, and so working with her is like the whole spectrum of duality. It is, it's kind of like the Charles Dickens book, the opening line, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. That's ayahuasca. And it could be in a single night that you go through your own personal version of hell and you go through your own personal version of heaven and sometimes everything in between. She is completely unpredictable, very feminine, wild. And, you know, her symbol of the snake, I think represents her very well because she's going to move energy the way we were talking, you might purge, laugh, cry, itch, have phlegm, like need to move somewhere or another, she's going to move energy, which is partly why she's so healing is she'll create space for new things to come in, get rid of some toxicities of trauma, you know, so she's incredible. She's not easy, not easy at all. And the aftermath, you said that's actually 
why we seek it out. What are we wanting? What changes? I mean, what type of things do people come to you and are good for if they're depressed, if they're stuck? You name it. I mean, pretty much. I don't know. The whole spectrum, uh, because I would describe ayahuasca as an expander of consciousness, not as a healer. In other words, she's not going to do the work for us, right? But she's like a big old spotlight. Like, so for example, one of the first things I experienced healing with is migraine headaches. So when I was working with her, she came in like the spotlight. I was like, do you want to know why you have migraine headaches? And for me, it was this repressed anger. Like I was completely out of integrity with the rage that I was carrying. I would have told you then, I'm not angry everything is great. And I was fast, you know? And so she's like, if you feel this, if you allow it to be expressed, you don't have to hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's right. You know, I, I committed to it then and there, and I haven't had a migraine since, but mm-hmm. I have to do the work of feeling and being in integrity with what I'm experiencing. So that's what I mean by, you know, she's a spotlight. She's an expander of consciousness. She doesn't, she's a good mom. She gives us the tools to do the things that we have to do ourselves, right? She's not going to do it for us. So in that vein, I mean, it's just on a, a limitless list of things that she can help with physical, emotional, spiritual, you name it. Um, I just, I kind of trust her with just about any problem of like, you know, help me solve this riddle mama. And she could do that. I haven't found anything she's not capable of yet. Ah, I love it. I went with a group of women to a rage room and I said the same thing. Like, I don't have any rage, but uh, now we're plugging rage rooms. We're going to have to get a, an affiliate code for one or something, but yeah, just, just being, it's acceptable to let that out or me just feeling some deep emotions, some sadness, some disappointment where you just kind of are like, okay, whatever, we're just going to move on and be happy and keep functioning and never actually feel that sadness or that disappointment or that hurt or anger or pain from our past. And it, even just doing this podcast has been healing as I was editing an episode of this gal who she, she was abused and sexually abused all throughout her childhood. And it's been a hard one to edit. I, it was one of my first interviews and I still have not edited it in like 30. I haven't finished it. I haven't got it ready because it was so close to my heart and my life with my daughter being sexually abused. And so, and I, ha- I have an editor now, but I'm still going to take, going to finish this one. But I listening to this and her tell about for her, she actually did did ketamine with a trusted friend and in it let her disassociate from that abuse and see it from a higher perspective and help her and this is the thing that got me I mean just like at my computer just like sobbing snotty whatever she's like I was able to understand what forgiveness was and forgive them but I also forgave myself. And as she's telling this, and I'm just like sobbing, just feeling that going through the sadness that I don't know that I let myself fully feel for what happened to my daughter and the anger and the, all the feelings, all the feelings. And even for her, just the people that did that to them and what they went through, right. to get them there and all of those. So it's been incredibly healing just to be able to let those 
feelings out and process and feel them. Permission to feel mm-hmm. and be, and the integrity um, of not lying to ourselves about what we're going through. Because you're right, what we t- tend to do is nothing to see here. It's all good. And I had a spiritual teacher once say, Kat, you're not allowed to say all good anymore. Because I said it all the time. It's all good. She's like, it's not actually. I can feel your hurt and your anger. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to acknowledge it. Working with ayahuasca, psilocybin, plants like that, they're like, "Mm -mm. we're going to deal with what is. And it is scary to go there and so freeing to allow grief or rage or shame or fear to be processed right? Because we can't get to the states of consciousness around happy, happiness and connectivity and all of that if all of, of those darker, heavy emotions are in the way. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not true. I'd never felt anything, the depths of joy or sadness that both ends of the emotions so deep in my life. So I know it's not for everyone. And I just wish everyone could feel that, you know, that they could feel the just divine. I don't, it's so hard to explain, right? If someone hasn't felt it and the depths of it and the hugeness of it and the miracle of it. So, oh, did you have a, and the safety of it? Ah, it does. (laughs) It just like holds you. You're like so sad and feeling the emotions around something and I had an experience where I thought that my husband was leaving me and I was on a journey (laughs) and I processed through that whole thing, like the sadness, the hurt, the, all of those emotions. And, but it just, the, the mushroom just held me like, it's going to all be okay. And I made it through the other side and I got home and it was a misunderstanding <laughs> and he wasn't leaving me, but really kind of a neat experience. It's like people who process through their death, like that dying experience to just like, know you're going to be okay and you can make it through it. And the plant just kind of holds you and loves you in that safety of it. It was, it was hard, but beautiful. Right. And it may be the thing that prevents you from ever having to manifest that to begin with is you accepted it, worked through it, and then it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Pretty beautiful. So so beautiful. So we probably could both tell so many stories. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Do you have anything? I don't know if you're even open to sharing stories on here, but do you have any, like one of your most profound or healing stories that you're open to sharing? Sure. Oh, the first one that comes in is a really sweet and and tragic and funny one at the same time. It's about, so what are the greatest losses I've ever had in my life is my cat, my soulmate. I had this cat named Mr. Boo that I loved in a way that was borderline unhealthy. Like he's just, he was my soulmate. And when he died, it was an existential crisis because, you know, our animals are always with us and that's such a hole in our lives when they leave. And, um, if finally about a year after he died, I got the courage to go in and sit with ayahuasca and ask her to help me find him. I wanted to find him in the afterlife and I'm the afterlife coach. That's my nickname. So I'm like, ah, I'm here for this. I believe I spent harmony three hours going through the cosmos, every planet, every galaxy looking for my cat and I couldn't find him. And I got to this place of very near complete 
breakdown of like, well, if I can't find my cat, then everything I believe about the multiverse is wrong. And it's not based in love and we aren't safe. And I was about to lose it. And I just felt this like nudge on my lap. And I looked down and my cat was laying there in spirit form connected to me and he's like where did you think I would be I'm not out there I'm in your heart and mm. it was this like it was so profound to me because I felt like oh how cheesy like I just fell for it I just did the whole my cat is somewhere out there and I spent hours looking for him and he's right here but I was so relieved and so happy because it was like everything's okay the world is safe it's based in love nobody leaves us they're always connected um, and I just needed that so deeply to have a tangible reflection. So it's one of my favorite memories. I love it. It's, it's another, like, it's all right here. Another story about how we're outside looking, or that's just what it reminded me of. Maybe that's not what it meant to you, but we're outside it looking is. for all these things like we were talking about before, and we can have all of that peace and love and anything we want right here, right now. I had one where I, um, the people were calling me over to the campfire in the middle of this journey. And I just, they went on a bike ride and I was just like in this little area of trees that was calling me and just communing with these trees and feeling all the emotions. And then they said, come over to the campfire. And I was like, okay, yeah, I want to. And then I was like, I don't, I want to run. Like I want to get like, go be free. And so I got on my bike and I just started pedaling as fast as I could. And I could feel the wind on my face. And I was like, Oh, I'm free. And this feels so good. And my body's moving and I'm expressing. And I got to the end of like this one minute, <laughs> like the trail hadn't even started yet. This one minute thing. And I it felt like in my mind, I was running away from all my responsibilities and all of the, like having to no one ever told us as adults <laughs> when they told us like get married and have babies they didn't say it's really hard to make dinners for the rest of your life and, and figure out what that is and cook them and try and stay healthy and it's really hard to like support a family and you know all of these things and then not just like those physical things but there's these emotional needs that your five children will need and you might have a little one up in the night and you might have a teenager heartbroken that needs to talk with you and like there's so much like that a mom carries right all of this weight on us and I just wanted to run away from it and I was like oh I'm finally free I can just go and it was like I was living left my family and was living in some, I don't even know, some other country, but it was for like one minute. And I got to the end and I looked up at the moon and I was like, it's kind of lonely here. I miss my people. <laughs> like I miss their, and I, my kids weren't back there, but it was all symbolic, you know, like I miss my people and I want to go back to them. And so I lived this whole journey looking for what I wanted and then coming back to like, I already have it. It's all right here. I love these people and I want to be with them. And it's okay if the dishes aren't done and I didn't make dinner and we're just eating chips and salsa or cereal for dinner. Like it's fine. I just, anyway, a, a, another, another story of that, but, um, oh, Hey, I was going to ask you about Watuma and combo. Ah, Are you willing yeah. to tell us a little bit about those plants? Some people probably have never heard of them and we don't really talk too much about them on the podcast yet. Okay. So Watuma, also known as San Pedro, um, 
is very near and dear to me because he is the other medicine I've been trained to carry in a tradition called the Shavin tradition. Uh, so Watshuma in many ways is the polar opposite of ayahuasca in that it's a masculine spirit, a grandfather spirit. Um, it's a cactus that works with the energy of the sun. So with with ayahuasca, it's kind of a meditation. We work with her at night in the darkness and we go within. Watshuma, we work with him during the day using our senses and connecting with each other. Um, Watshuma is most in the synthetic world like MDMA. It's classified as an empathogen. So he works to open the heart. He's not really psychedelic in the way that mushrooms and ayahuasca are. Uh, you can have some visions with him, but it isn't that full throttle, like sacred geometry, wildness. He's a heart opener. And so Watshuba is actually the one that taught me a lot of what we're talking about today in terms of it's safe to feel your emotions. It's safe to just sit in the energies of our bodies. Um, and he's healed my broken heart again and again. Like I, I love this medicine and there's just a space of safety with him that I don't experience with uh, any other medicine. So I, what I love to do is work with ayahuasca at the beginning of a retreat and Wachuma at the end, because he helps to really close the open heart surgery and start integrating and embodying the cosmic lessons. And it's just really a beautiful medicine to help with trauma, anxiety, depression, all of that. So he's starting to get have a heyday, which is mm -hmm. awesome, because I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from his medicine, uh, but he's still kind of, you know, a best kept secret. So uh, Wachuma is is one of my favorites is Wachuma. Now I know the little peyote plant is a little more, um, it, I don't know if it's endangered, but there's been some, some things around that, that you want to really be careful. So the ethical uses of some of these plants is Wachuma. Um, I think they sell it at like Home Depot, even though it's illegal to actually consume. But is that something that you're we're worried at all about where we get it from and the ethical concerns on Wachuma? I always am worried about that to some degree. So you're right. So peyote is near extinction because it used to be legal and the government then decimated the crops. It's a, there's a book called Mescaline uh, by, I think his name is David Jay, incredible book about the history of peyote in particular. Um, so peyote and wachuma are cousins. They both have mescaline as a core alkaloid, but you could tell the difference by them by the way they grow. Peyote barely pokes the surface. That's why we call it peyote buttons. Whereas wachuma grows really tall. And wachuma isn't in any way near endangered status. You're right, you can buy them at Home Depot. Most people don't know that the ornamental cactus they have in their yard is also an incredible entheogen. Um, but uh, it, it's still important to be ethical about where we source our medicines. Because for me, I wanna support the tribes that have always been their guardians and wisdom keepers. So I'm not going to buy Wachuma at Home Depot. I want to support, you know, it's like, especially for me, the area in Peru where I got to train and learn this tradition. So I like cactuses from that area and to support the people that are protecting them, but also to be aware of every touch point of all the medicines. You know, that's why buying them off the internet is really dicey. You don't know who cultivated them, prepared them, packaged them, and everybody that touches these medicines, the medicine absorbed that energy. Uh, so it, there's the ethical, like sustainability topic and supporting the tribes and also knowing what it is that we're consuming, because we're going to feel that energy when we're cracked open and crazy sensitive, right? So you don't want the, the guy with anger issues that's only growing mushrooms to make a profit to be the one that you're consuming, because it won't be as fun. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have some sensitive friends that will be like, oh, these, these ones have a great, you know, and then those ones, oh no, those need a lot of clearing and work. And I'm not, I, I'm not quite that sensitive, just normal on my own, but it's beautiful to see people who are, who are always that sensitive. I love it. So combo, can you tell us a little bit about combo? Absolutely. So I'm not a carrier of combo. I'm just a fan. Um, combo is uh, a medicine that comes from the giant monkey tree frog in uh, the Amazon, which I actually have a tattoo of here, Mr. Froggy. It is a, it's a secretion that the frog makes um, that is actually a protective sort of uh, energy. But the interesting thing about this frog is they don't have any known predators. So the frog doesn't experience fear. It is very friendly. It's like nobody wants to harm the frog. So the frog has an interesting, beautiful vibration. And so when you take this um, secretion uh, off of the frog, they dry it on some sticks. And then the way, I don't know who first discovered this, right? The shamans of the jungle at first are like, I'm going to take the secretion from that frog and put burn holes on my skin and then put it on and see what happens. But somebody did. And that's how you work with combo is basically through superficial burns. We call them gates um, in the skin. And, and then the medicine goes on and it enters through our lymphatic system. Technically, it's not a psychedelic because it doesn't uh, sort of invoke those sorts of psychedelic visions but it is definitely an altered space. Combo is, we call it warrior medicine. It's like, if, for, for all the ladies in menopause, it's like the strongest hot flash you've ever had, like this full body heat energy. And it typically comes with really deep, intense purging. So it's it's physically incredibly healing. It has a lot of peptides in it for inflammation, for pain, chronic pain, um, and it can help balance hormones and neurotransmitters. And it's just, it's a beautiful healing medicine and it's actually completely legal, uh, at least in the States, it's still like completely accessible. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of froggy medicine, even though every time I do it, there's like this two minute window where I'm like, I'm never doing this again. It's like so <laughs> intense and uncomfortable, but then I have the breakthrough and I'm like, oh, I love this so much. Oh, thank you for describing that. So what's the difference between the combo that's a frog secretion and bufo and then you talk about the plant version of bufo so absolutely so bufo is a toad is a sonoran toad also yeah we work with the secretion of bufo but it's a very different alkaloidal structure so in bufo is something called 5-meo-dmt which is kind of like the god molecule i mean it's the strongest psychedelic alkaloid that that we know of and when you work with Bufo, you actually typically have, you smoke it. It's not, it doesn't enter through burn points. You consume it in a different way. Um, and it's basically like a death experience. Bufo, if you get a strong enough hit, uh, your, your ego dissolves and poof, you know, you're basically re-aware of unity consciousness. So Bufo is, is something I caution people around for a couple of reasons. One, it is such a big experience that it can cause quite an existential crisis in the aftermath. You got to have a lot of those tools we were talking about at the beginning of like, you know, being able to ground back in and process intense things because it can be uh, really just uh, like a whole dismantling of your worldview. Um, but Bufo also, you know, there's a lot of people who believe the fra- or the toads are harmed in the process of getting the excretion and uh, the toads are getting more extinct. 
So I personally like working with the plant version of Bufo, uh, meaning uh, there's a plant that has 5-MeO-DMT2. It's called Vilka, spelled V-I-L-K-A, sometimes W-I-L-K-A. Vilka is not well known yet. Um, it is in the jungle. Uh, uh, you work with that as a snuff, it's blown up your nose and uh, it has the same effects as Bufo, although a very different spirit because the plant spirit is very different, but it's that same sort of death experience. Um, so those are the big guns in the psychedelic world, working with 5-MeO in any form. It's not a subtle journey at all. Yeah, it sounds intense. So Vilka, did I say that right? Yes. Yeah. Is that um, illegal in the States? That's a good question. I don't think it's scheduled. I don't think anybody's aware of it. So like what? Vilka. Yeah. Vilka yeah. So I don't think it's on their radar. Um, it's, but it's really hard to find. It's not like, uh, you know, an Etsy shop will likely sell it. <laughs> like I've only encountered it in the jungle myself. I have never, uh, I think I've heard of one or two people bringing it over, but uh, it's still very much under the radar. Yeah. But yeah. Bufo is everywhere. It feels like that, that one is, is definitely on people's hot button list. Yeah. And I did see, I watched a Hamilton Morris episode about Bufo. And so it was filming and I'm sure there are people who are consciously because you don't have to kill the toad Correct. at all, but there are people who are consciously doing that. And then also a huge group of people that are just making money driving out there. They say they freeze in the headlights. So the cars make them freeze and then they get run over. And also some people that just get the excretion and then discard the frog after they've captured them or whatever, you know? So I'm sure that if they're becoming more and more extinct, that's true. Uh, I definitely don't want to contribute to any, anything like that. So, um, let's see if there's any other fun, um, substances that you want to talk about anything come to mind for you well we haven't talked about hape yet oh, that knows. would be lovely I would love to talk about hape yeah I mean um hape to me which is shamanic snuff it's sacred tobacco mapacho wild jungle tobacco that is ground into a powder and ingested through the nostrils like you, you get it served typically by someone else you can also self-serve right um, I find tobacco fascinating because he is incorporated into every shamanic tradition across the globe, at least where he grows, which is in most corners of the world. So sacred to or tobacco is a sacred plant to uh, a vast majority of indigenous tribes. So I figure hmm, if all those indigenous beings revere and love the, the medicine of this plant, there must be something there. So, and of course, hape is uh, completely legal tobacco, right? Um, and really a beautiful medicine to work with on a more of a daily basis, weekly basis, whatnot, to help calm the monkey mind, mm -hmm. to help us be more present, to, to help kind of uh, taper anxiety. Um, I, the word that I hear every time I work with Hafe is alignment, like just being really in my integrity and even my body responds of like, oh, I want to sit up and I want to be present and I want to feel. So I love him as a medicine that's accessible to more people because it's not psychedelic. It still has psychotropic uh, qualities. But yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to him. Ah, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah and that is probably one you could 
probably find in the little shop down the street or <laughs> yeah I mean there's a few fabulous online um uh stores that sell hafe and they do so a lot of them in a very ethical way supporting the tribes and and replanting the plants so yeah we got a lot of good choices with hafe because it's legal and and there's a lot of good people making that medicine and any cautions around that yeah sure it's still strong medicine but there's there's you know people who have um sensitivities or allergies to tobacco as a whole don't do hape it can make you very very physically ill um and the biggest caution i would say with hape is tobacco is addictive it has nicotine so we but i find that part of the medicine of the plant because he requires that we be conscious about the reason we are reaching for him mm-hmm. so you know you can you can form a habit, an addictive habit with hape, but not if you're very conscious and intentional of making sure that you're working with them because you're called to, not because you can. So that's the biggest caution is uh, just be respectful and very, very aware of your reasons for connecting with him. And if your body feels like it's starting to get hooked, time out, have the discipline to say, you know, I'm going to give it a rest for a while. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very different, I know there's a lot of people that are very cautious about all of these plants and just I'm seeing a a whole group of people who are being more conscious about these things and using them in a conscious way and then there's people that aren't and that's that's life right that's life too humanity (laughs) yeah that happens and I'm I'm assuming I know psilocybin what from what I read is not chemically addictive I'm assuming ayahuasca isn't either, but I don't actually know. Not even close. If anything, <laughs> medicines like psilocybin and ayahuasca do the opposite. I think they get harder and harder to take, <laughs> right? Because we know, oh God, that portal could open up and it could be really hard. So no, and there's nothing about them that can be physically or habitually addictive. So their medicine is different in that way. Got you. Yeah, yeah. I've done hape just a handful of times over years, you know, and not even a handful probably, but just a couple times. And it was very intentional. And I, you know, didn't feel like I was, had some physical addiction, you know, or that need, but I, I know that that is chemically, physically, whatever you want to call that addictive. And so it'd be some, something people would want to be cautious about. So I'm glad you, you brought that up. Yeah. Um, Man, I feel like we've covered so many awesome things and I know good. I'll get done and I'll be like, oh, dang it. I had her, <laughs> I had her on zoom and I didn't ask her this question, but, um, yeah. Is there just some words of wisdom or, uh, something you'd want to leave people with that are on this journey or considering this journey with plants? Yeah. The, the parting nugget I'll share is to ask us all to remember that every time we work with the plants, we are building a relationship, you know, never to forget that they are sentient and conscious beyond words, like not to use them as pharmaceuticals, substance, or even supplements that we just sort of take unconsciously. The more we treat them as beings that we are in relationship with, the more that they can give us the keys to the kingdom. But it takes that um, respect of the fact that these beings, they know far more than we do. That's for sure. Uh, so I just ask us all to try to remember that because we don't live in, a, live in a culture that supports that. We have to be intentional 
about creating that in our own lives with these plants, but they will give us the world if we show them that respect. Mm, I love it. I have been, like I said, reading your book and I highly recommend everyone go out and take, there's, there's a lot, a lot of good nuggets in there that people can learn and grow from. And that's, that's the reason I'm doing the podcast, like to be, help people be informed, to learn, to build this relationship with them. Not just like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's go do that this weekend, but like really understand. And a lot of that is understanding ourselves, working with that shadow. We've talked about a lot of these things. So can you tell us anything else that you're, you say you're doing um, retreats in places that it's legal, Peru, that kind of thing, and your integration, you're doing integration here. Can you give us um, any of your links or how to find you? If sure, they want to thanks for them? asking. Yeah, yeah, well, first of all, the book is called Plant Medicine Mystery School, and I teach a class called that too. Um, everything that I do is on a website called plantmedicinepeople.com. That's my company. And we have retreats and coaching and courses and master plant diets and all kinds of fun things with plants. So if any of your listeners would like to come play, they're always welcome. Oh, I'm sure after getting to spend a little time with you, they will, I'm like, Ooh, I'm drawn, but I, I gotta like, right now is the time I'm going to work on the podcast and love my kiddos and be here. And (laughs) one day maybe we will get to play together in Peru or something. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for just sharing your knowledge and all, all you went through. Like I'm so in awe of people who have put in the work. I mean, (laughs) like really, really put in the work. I, I mean, how many days were you in jail one day? I was in jail for three days. Three that days. The system. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. That was just a small part of the work. <laughs> when I meant the work, I was thinking about all the ceremonies and all the mm-hmm. learning you've done from the indigenous and all of that. And then that, that work in jail popped into my head to be funny, but um, it was still probably you putting in the work, like think how much you grew. You, I, I'm thinking how much I would grow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> totally rite of passage Mm -hmm. seriously we we contemplated doing a retreat just a women's retreat during covid where it was like they were cracking down on people that were getting together in groups you know and and we're just like you know this women need this right now and if we end up in jail then we're just gonna preach this light and goodness and integrate with all the women in prison while we're there. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Sing, sing, sing and dance and it'll be incredible. So, oh, so fun. Got this. Well, thank you for all you do out there yeah. to spread such beautiful messages and support people too. It's an honor to connect. Uh, thank you. All right. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Hopefully. Yes. Thanks so much for subscribing and leaving a review. Come join our amazing free community, Life Changing Trips. There's a link in the description. All content is for informational, entertainment, educational, and harm reduction purposes only. Life Changing Trips and Harmony Williams and their affiliates and guests are not doctors or mental health professionals or legal advisors. Any information shared is not meant to treat, diagnose, or claim cures for any physical conditions or mental illness. Psychedelics and sacred plant medicines are not for everyone, even when done legally. There are serious contraindications with various health conditions and pharmaceutical medications. Please do your own research and take action 
information to be informed. Remember that you are 100% responsible for your actions and subsequent consequences. The views of the guests are not the views and opinions of life-changing trips.